Well, hey, everybody. Glad we get to close out this series on prayer together. I hope that you are sensing, if you haven't already, just a shift that's happening here. Uh, maybe you see it or feel it, or maybe you don't, but this year has just felt different. And we've done 21 days of prayer several times, but this beginning of this year just feels different. And I don't know if that means God is up to something or he just has something special for us. I'm not sure, but I'm excited to see and be a part of what God is up to. You can just feel in the room a difference, a power, an expectation, especially when we gather together. This is, like we continue to say, this is the best part of the week because we're gathering as believers in Christ and lifting the name of Jesus high. And so I pray, my prayer for you is the 21 days is over. It's been cool to see people posting pictures, first Starbucks in 21 days or watching something or we broke our fast. It's really neat. And it was a great set aside 21 days. But my, my hope and prayer would be that this culture, this expectation of prayer wouldn't end in the 21 days, but just be a beginning, a launch into a new normal. And you've heard it every week in that sermon bumper. It's a little clip. Each of the people speaking in that video are pastors, and this is just excerpts of sermons on prayer. But one of the people in the video said, did you know that you can do more in a week in prayer and connecting with God than you can in a lifetime in your own strength? That you can do more in a week on your knees praying before the creator, the king of kings. You can do more in one week engaged in prayer than you can in an entire lifetime in your own strength. I just wonder if you believe that. I know you hear it, but do you believe it? Is that your life's motto that parenting your kids in your own strength is not going to cut it. It takes connection with God. Engaging with people at work and having a good attitude in your own strength is not going to work. It takes connection with God. Seeing that friend or that family member come to repentance, come to belief in Jesus isn't in your articulate ability. It's on your knees before God, pleading with him. We can't do anything in our own strength. And I hope by now in this prayer series, you see, you believe that. And you actually live by it. Because I know my natural default is to know it, but not live like that. But if we could just believe it, I believe that this feeling, this sensing of God up to something won't stop. And we will just continue to see him all throughout 2023. Amen. Because if I'm honest, I'm, prayer is not something that I'm naturally strong at. It's not one of those I got saved and just naturally love to pray for hours. That's just not a default. In fact, I would say that's most of our story. It's not a natural. You have your people and we see them, we love them, we admire them that can just pray and pray and pray and pray and it just comes out seamlessly. That's great, but I would say most of our story is when Paul says, labor with me in prayer, we go, yeah, labor. It's, it's labor. It takes intentionality and so if you're like me, over this 21 days of prayer, I've really dug into a book that's really helped me engage and understand prayer more. So it's a book called Pray Like a Monk, Live Like a Fool. Pray Like a Monk, Live Like Fools. It's by a pastor, 
named Tyler Statton. And uh, if you know Sydney Russum, she recommended it to me. And I read it, and actually, she recommended it to me while reading it, and I lapped her. I beat her by reading. I'm, I read it faster than she did. <clears throat> but each chapter is awesome. And if you need help, it helps shape a biblical perspective on prayer. It's extremely practical, helps give you prayer models on how to pray and what to pray and the Lord's Prayer and what it means and how it can guide you in your daily life. It's it's an awesome resource, so I highly recommend it. If you're like me, you need practical, you love the practical, go check out this book. It's a great resource. So you've heard Pastor Ron probably say a few times that when it comes to prayer, there are three answers One answer that we love is yes. When we pray and God says yes, we've celebrated a ton of yeses over the last 21 days. In fact, Cole just mentioned it. We had four stories that we heard from the last several months, really, of God just up to something we heard. We celebrated the life of baby risen that, according to doctors, shouldn't be alive at all. But mama and daddy prayed, got the church to pray, and it was awesome to see Kayla Satterley hold baby risen while she shared the testimony of his life. God said yes. They pleaded and prayed when the doctors said this is not going to work out. They pleaded for a miracle and God said yes. We celebrated with Ashley and Tracy Hayes who are in the process of adopting little Jennifer and needed God to pull through financially. And they prayed, God, help us. We got to continue this process along, and $1,200 is a lot of money. And so through the Spirit of God after church, last Sunday, someone in this church felt inclined, again, by the Spirit, to bless them financially for $1,200. It's amazing. Yes, we love yes, we celebrate yes, we believe for the yes, we keep coming back in prayer to God for the yes, we make testimony videos of the yes, we write on Facebook and post all about the yes, praise God that he's the God of yes. He doesn't have to be, he doesn't have to say yes to anything we ask, but he does. And I'm sure if you can reflect and think back through your life, you can remember God saying yes to you. But what do you do when God doesn't say yes? What do you do when his answer is actually wait? What do you do when he ultimately just says no? Sometimes it's hard to reconcile these answers, again, we love the yes. We celebrate the yes. We will never stop believing God for the yes. But sometimes God says no. Sometimes he says wait. And you, in that moment, hear the questions in your mind, how, well, how can God be loving but tell us to wait? How is God good when he says No. And there's a number of people, in fact, people a lot of the times my age and younger, 
that are walking away from the church and some walking away from their faith entirely because of the wait and the no. And I would argue that these people sadly deconstruct their faith and they walk away from the church because they've never heard a sermon or a teaching on this. They've never heard that God does say no and that God does say wait. And so when God does say no and wait, they don't know what to do. And so they can't rationalize that God could be good and tell me no, and therefore they deconstruct, they walk away because they aren't equipped to know how to handle when God says wait and when God says no. And so we have to talk about it. We have to be equipped to pray for the yes and believe for the yes, and we will continue to see that, but we have to know how to also stay grounded and rooted when we get no or when we get weight. And so that's what the message is on today. It's not everyone's favorite message. It's not one where, you know, you walk away shouting. But I pray that deep down, all of our faith would grow deeper roots and that we would be equipped to have the conversation with perhaps a daughter of ours or a son of ours or a family member or a friend or our coworkers who are, no, I walked away from that. Well, why? Well, my dad passed away and I prayed and God said no and I've walked away. So we have to be equipped to know how to reconcile these hard things. I, I know that we as a church, we just prayed constantly for Morris Proctor, who was one of my personal absolute favorite Bible teachers, a friend of Christian life, a friend of our lead pastor, was even a close family friend of mine for years. And we prayed for a miracle. Last Sunday, we faced the hospital. We prayed and we interceded. God, please intercede. Prayed for a miracle. But ultimately, God said, no. And Morris went on to be with Jesus. I remember being a kid and my mom having a seizure in her sleep and 911 being called and seeing her carried out on a stretcher in our living room and go to the hospital and saw dozens and dozens of people gather at the hospital and pray and intercede, pray for miracles, classmates of mine, fellow seventh graders showing up at the hospital, praying with me, praying over my mom, pastors at the church my mom was connected at, showing up, praying, but ultimately God said, no. And we're coming up, it's crazy, it hit me this morning, we're coming up on 17 years since my mom passed away. And I look around the room, and I know some of your stories, and there's some of your stories I don't know, but I know that some of us carry scars and wounds to nose. We have probably all cried tears and felt the pain in our chest and well up. You might feel it right now. You feel that pain in your chest well up because you prayed for something ultimately not to see it carry out the way you thought it would. Some of you have prayed for miracles and you didn't see it. Some of you prayed for life and you saw death. Some of you prayed for breakthrough only to find yourself still in the struggle some of you prayed for provision, but never saw it come. 
Some of you prayed for God to get you out of a season and you still find yourself there. Some even right now are praying for something and you've been praying for so long and you're still in the in-between. You wait in the middle pleading with God, please, please, praying for a yes. And so if you're someone who falls into any of these categories, the first thing we have to do is I just want to acknowledge your pain. I want you to know that this is a safe place. I mean, I could do the whole hand raise thing and everyone in here would raise their hand saying, yeah, I know what this is like. So if you're in that place, you are in good company. We all know what knows and waits are like, some in different extremes, some with different versions, but we all know. And so you're, you're in a safe place and I acknowledge your pain. We aren't, we aren't oblivious here at Christian Life. We, we will never be a church that just has the Sunday morning smile, God is good face. God is good, but we know that life is hard too. And so we won't just be a fluffy, pretend like it's all okay while on the inside knowing that some of you are wrestling and struggling. Because a beautiful truth is that two truths can exist at the same time. Meaning life can be terrible while God can still be good. God is good, life is hard. God is good even though we don't understand his ways. And here's what I come to appreciate more and more about this Jesus we just worshiped and sang to is that he can handle our anger, our doubt, our pain, our negative words that we have to say. He invites us in that place to come. Broken, angry, confused, whether you're full of faith or full of doubt, he still invites you to come. Whether you're praising his name or questioning his name, he still invites you to come. And so wherever you are, come. And as you come, what happens when God says wait or no? This is what I felt led of the Spirit of God to teach on today. So are you with me? So here's, let's go to the word on it. So in the Bible, there are many, many, many stories of wait. The most popular one that comes to mind is always Abraham and Sarah, who were told that they would have children of their own. But they didn't see it happen. And they had to wait 25 years to see that promise fulfilled. 25 years. They were extremely old when they received this promise. And so if you just put yourselves in their shoes, just imagine year one, year two, year five, year 10, year 15, year 20. You could just imagine along the way as they see themselves getting older, they probably started to think things like, well, did we misunderstand? Is this just not going to work out? Did we mess something up along the way? Did we disqualify ourselves? It's been 25 years. And they, we even know, in fact, biblically, that they probably got impatient and then said, let's just do this ourselves. 
So Abraham has a baby with one of his servants and has Ishmael. But God comes and says, that's, nope, that's not what I promised. And so they, we know they tried to take God's plan under their own hands and force God's promise. But after 25 years of being told, wait, they finally felt the kick inside Sarah's womb. They felt the kick of God's weight turn to yes. And when Abraham was 100 years old, and when Sarah was 90, how that works, I don't know. <laughs> but they held in their hands Isaac. They held in their hands their yes. A miracle of God. And so just thinking about their story, it was in that waiting of 25 years that they learned things that they couldn't have learned any other way. They learned things in that 25 years of waiting that they could not have learned any other way. They were being refined. They were learning to trust God. No matter the length, no matter what his answer was, they probably laid down this promise at God's feet over and over. God, even if you never say yes, you're still good. But ultimately, their weight turned to yes, and they held Isaac. And so we see God's weight in Scripture, but we also see in Scripture God's no. We all know the Apostle Paul one of the men God chose to advance the gospel and he would plant churches, he would be used by God to write most of the New Testament. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul gives us an insight to an interesting fact about him. So 2 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 7 says, the apostle Paul says, so to keep me from becoming conceited, because of the surpassing greatness of revelations, which that could be a sermon in and of itself to dig into that another time. A thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being, becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. So I want to just zone in on that. There is a thorn present in Paul's life and it's something that's causing him pain. It makes him feel weak. It makes him in need of strength and in need of help. It was something that he did not want there. It was a thorn in the side. I don't know if you've ever been stuck by a thorn, but it's not something that you want to happen every day. And so there's many, many theories on what this thorn is. And for someone to say they conclusively know, that's, it's impossible. But there's theories some think it was a type of PTSD or a trauma because the Apostle Paul in his life prior to following Jesus would, would torture Christians. He would falsely accuse them all the way to murdering Christians. That plus he himself experiencing the worst of the worst trauma by being physically attacked and whipped. So his prior life to Jesus and what he experienced as a Jesus follower equaled this PTSD or trauma. It's a theory. It was a psychological struggle. Some think it was an eye disease that actually plagued the Apostle Paul because in Galatians chapter four, Paul speaks to the Christians 
And basically to summarize Galatians 4, he says, thank you for being patient with me. I had a bodily ailment when I was present with you. And he even writes, if you could have given me your own eyes, you would have. And so people take that and go, well, maybe he had something wrong with his eyes. Maybe he had a bodily ailment, a a body disease on his eyes that caused him to have seasons, or maybe it was long-term, trouble with his sight, therefore making him dependent on others, making him weak. Some even say it could be why he did not write himself most of the letters in the New Testament. It's why there's little brief periods of him going, I write this with my own hand. I don't know. But what we do know is that the Apostle Paul didn't want it. He didn't like it. It caused him pain to the point where he pleaded with God three times, Lord, remove this. Now think about it. The Apostle Paul, nobody in here has seen or been used by God to do what the Apostle Paul was doing when he wrote this. He had seen miracles. He had seen healings. He had seen people from all over. The worst of the worst people go from non-believer to believer. He had planted churches. I mean, people just touched something that was his and they got healed. This is who the Apostle Paul was. So now he is asking for something himself. Lord, heal me. Remove this thorn from me. And what does God say? No. In fact, he doesn't just say no, and that's it. He says in verse 9, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So he says, Paul, no, but my grace is sufficient for you, even in this no, even though I'm not going to remove this from you, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. And then Paul responds to that was, therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So God said no, that his grace is sufficient for Paul and that the power of God is actually made perfect and on display best in weakness, in pain. And so Paul says he would rather boast in that weakness than anything else because it's in that weakness that the world can see the power of Christ, that Paul would continue to go. That Again, I don't know what it was, but whatever it was, Paul lived with it, but he kept on. He kept on praising God. He kept on planting churches. He kept on actually being used by God to see others healed while he himself wasn't. That's the power of Christ. That despite being told no, God's still good. And I'm going to boast actually in this weakness. This is what we see in the Apostle Paul. And if that's not enough, we even see this in our Savior in Jesus, God in the flesh, knows what it's like to pray to the Father and be told no. Hebrews 5.7 says that in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. So right there, 
Jesus offered up prayers to the one who was able to save him from death. Remember in the garden, right before Jesus would be crucified, Jesus asked the Father, if there's any other way, Father, remove this cup from me. Which was Jesus saying, God, if there's any other way to save humanity, please rescue me, because this is hard. But, nevertheless, your will be done. So Jesus was praying to the Father, who was able to make it all stop. Remove this cup from me, for the Father to say, no. Melissa Kruger, who is an author, wrote while reading Hebrews 5-7, and I shared it with you. It says, God heard Jesus' cries and tears. He heard his beloved, perfectly obedient son. Yet Jesus still suffered and died. He wasn't rescued from the cross. And God does not always rescue us from the trials we face. When God says no, we often wonder if we've got a bad connection. Can you hear me? Can you hear me now? This passage reminds us that God hears our prayers. In Christ, we are heard because we share in his righteousness. God's not deaf to our cries, pleading, and longing, but sometimes, for reasons that we may not understand, his good purpose is to say no. Sometimes, for reasons we may not understand, his good purpose is to say no. God's ways are not our ways. Sometimes he says yes. Sometimes he says wait. Sometimes he says no. And through it all, I pray that you believe this in your heart. He's good. And he loves us. And though it's hard to see sometimes, he does have a plan and a purpose. His purpose is good. His purpose is for our utmost joy. His purposes are refining. Like in Isaiah 48.10, the Lord says, speaking of his people, Behold, I have refined you, not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction. So speaking of his children, speaking of Israel, God says, Behold, I'm refining you. And how I'm doing that is in the furnace of affliction, the furnace of being told no the furnace of being told to wait. So God's purposes are refining. And so if you're here today and you're in the waiting or you've experienced a no, I just want to end this message by sharing a few truths for you to remember this is for those who even prayed in the fast, prayed in the 21 days for things, and you, maybe you didn't get an answer. Maybe you didn't get the clarity that you were praying for. I pray that these truths are an anchor for your soul. So number one, the first one is that in the waiting and the no, God is a holy father. A holy father. So when Jesus showed the disciples how to pray, he began with, our father, who is in heaven, holy is your name, or hallowed be your name. So when Jesus prayed this, you maybe have never thought about this, but when Jesus prayed this, it would blow the disciples' mind. 
because they had no doubt in their mind God was holy. They knew God was holy. They knew that only once a year a great high priest would go into the holy of holies, the presence of God. They would tie a rope around his ankle just in case he fell dead right there. They weren't going in to get him. They would just pull him out by the rope. They knew he was holy. And they knew that unholiness could not approach holiness. They knew that. They knew God's name was holy. But Father, Holy Father, and not just Jesus' Father, but our Father. I like to use the analogy that in that time, the disciples viewed God as the CEO of the business. When you work for the CEO, you know that he's in charge. You know that he can fire anybody he wants. He can hire anyone he wants. He has the power. He has the authority to meet with him. You set up a meeting, probably with his personal assistant. And when you meet with him, you're probably sweating. You're probably intimidated. You try to act normal around him, but then you leave the meeting kicking yourself because you're an idiot because you tried to plug a joke in. It didn't work. You just, you can't be yourself. He's the boss and you're not. He's the CEO. But catch this, everything changes when CEO is your dad. You don't have to set up an appointment with the CEO when you're his child. You can just walk into his office. You understand that dad's still powerful. He's in charge. Some of the people you see walking down the hallway might not be here next year but you can boldly approach him because you're his kid. And you know that dad would drop anything for you and his business and work is secondary when it comes to you. Holy, in charge, CEO, father. So in the waiting, what Jesus is explaining to his disciples, what he would say to us is that God's approachable. It's the same for us. We can know that in our waiting and in our pain, God actually meets us there because he's our father. And if you're a true believer, you're his child. I tell my kids constantly before they go to sleep or random parts of the day, hey, did you know there's nothing you can do to make me stop loving you? And I mean that. There's nothing that my kids can do that would make me stop loving them. Even if they grow up and they wander away, they make bad decisions, God forbid they find themselves making a mess, I'm going to be there. I may not fix it. I'll let them suffer their consequences. I'm not going to come in and be that guy. But as they naturally walk their life, I'm going to be with them through it because that's what dads do. And if I feel that way as a fallen earthly father, I know it's because I'm made in the image of a heavenly father who, who feels all the emotions I feel on a greater magnitude for his kids. And so in the waiting, in the no, remember God is holy. He's not wicked. He's not evil. He's never gonna change. He's holy, but he's dad. He's father. And I wrote this, he doesn't guarantee as a father to make life pain-free and easy but he does promise to be with you through it all as a holy father. 
And so remember this, in the waiting, in the no, God is a holy father. Number two, another truth is in the waiting and the no, you have to be aware of the lies of the enemy because Satan is a liar and you can be sure that in our most vulnerable place, he will meet us there with lies. He will attempt to offer you reasons why God said no or why you still haven't seen the answer you've been praying for. God's cruel. God's mad at you. You can't trust him. You should just give up. Look at everyone else around you and look at you. God isn't listening. These are lies. (laughs) These are lies. This is what Ephesians 6.16 is referring to when it says the flaming darts of the evil one. It says, take up the shield of faith so you can stand against the flaming darts of the evil one. These flaming darts are lies. Just like an arrow would pierce and then affect the body. That's what lies do. They pierce us and then they affect all of who we are. It's these lies that cause our minds to question. It sends us into depression, sends us into anxiety or doubt. For some, it sends us into this fear-based thing to try to control every part of our life. When we're most vulnerable, Satan will shoot us with lies. We have to stand firm in the truth, take up the shield of faith. And I just want to say here, this is why I so believe in this. This is why I believe in true biblical, authentic community. Because when you have the right people in your circle, you can voice out these lies to them, and then they will remind you of the truth. They will love you enough to listen, and then love you enough to keep you grounded in the word. They will be with you through the waiting. They will pray for you. They will support you. They will cry with you. And when you face perhaps a painful reality of a no, they're there. They are there to support you. And I thought about this. Sometimes we need the faith of our brothers and sisters to hold the shield up for us. Sometimes we don't even have the strength to hold it up ourselves. But that's the beauty of the local church. This is why I'm not giving up on the church. I'm not walking away. I know I need this. I need brothers and sisters that will hold the shield over me when I don't even have the strength to do it. This is why I love belonging to the church of Jesus. So in the waiting and the no, beware of the lies of the enemy. Stand in the truth. This is the truth. This is not going to change. You need this to fight against the lies. And you need community to remind you of this, that when you get in your head, God's never going to pull through for me. You have people that will say, I don't think that's what this says right here. God's going to work it out. All right, another truth. In the waiting and the no, this is a big one, let me explain it. Rest in God's sovereignty and know that he sees the big picture. So God is sovereign, meaning that he is all-powerful and he's in control. He isn't caught off guard by anything. And his good plan is never put in jeopardy. I don't know why this image popped in my mind, but I've rode horses before and there's been times where the horse is moving so fast or something's happening and I feel my grip loosen off the reins and I feel like I'm about to fall off. God's not like that. He doesn't get to a place where he starts to lose grip of control and oh my gosh, things are getting too hard and he's almost gonna fall off the horse. That's just not the way God works. He is always 
in control. He is always powerful. He is sovereign. And because God is sovereign, he's able to fulfill Romans 8.28. That says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. So God as a loving and holy father and sovereign God. He's able to use the nose of life to turn it for our good. Again, he doesn't promise to just block us from nose. Life is hard. There will be no's, but God in his sovereignty uses that for our good. I have seen the reality of this play out in my own life. If you would have asked the 12-year-old me if my mom dying of brain cancer, which, by the way, totally flipped my life upside down, everything changed after that. I had anger, Bitterness, if you asked me if my mom passing away at 12 was good, I would have looked you in the face with anger and said, no, not good at all. Though God is not the author of evil and didn't just give my mom brain cancer, she still passed away and he was still in control. But he had a good plan. And so now, looking back, I see that that brain cancer, her passing away, led me to move in with my dad and stepmom. It led me to get plugged in to their church. It led me to go to Oakland High School instead of Siegel High School. At Oakland High School, you had to job shadow somebody to graduate. And me being who I was then, I didn't, I procrastinated. And so the last resort was the worship pastor at my parents' church. <laughs> who in that day spending with him I just met with him a few weeks ago and asked do you remember this do you remember this we went to Toots you said this to me you said this and right when I was walking away you said hey you should audition for the praise team and I said no nah. I said do you remember you walking away and me walking away and then me running back after you saying I feel like I should and I auditioned had to be in the choir was in that choir room February 2012, heard the gospel, gave my life to Jesus, been following him ever since. Now, if you ask me, was your mom passing away, was, there, was it good? I would say, yeah. I see now the big picture. I see my mom, she's good. She's there. She's where we want to be. She's worshiping Jesus. She doesn't have brain cancer anymore. She doesn't have to worry about having a seizure. She's healed. And I'm good too, because God's sovereign. He sees the big picture. He's gonna work it out. Though we don't see it in the moment, our nose can actually be for our good. Though it's hard to see sometimes. Truth number four, the last one, and then I'm gonna close. Very quick, in the waiting and the nose, set your mind on eternity. Sometimes it's okay not to know why our prayers don't get answered the way we want. Sometimes it's, we may never see why. But we can rest knowing that through the blood of Jesus shed on the cross for those who truly love God, our lives are secure in Christ. God loves us, he's forgiven us, and our eternity is secure. One day, pain will be no more. 
tears will be wiped away. And perhaps when we're, when we're in heaven, perhaps our questions that we have on this side, maybe they'll get answered or maybe we just won't even care anymore. We won't even care about why did this happen? Maybe we won't care because we'll see with our own eyes the face of our Savior. It gives me comfort to know that though we even prayed for a miracle for Morris Proctor to be healed, and though God said no to that, I can have confidence and peace knowing that he is looking in the face of the one he spent his entire life most of his entire life teaching and preaching and helping pastors study about. He sees, Morris, our brother in Christ, sees the face of the one that we worship. And so it gives me hope that even in the no that we got, there's an eternity and Morris is there. And it gives me comfort and I pray that it does you too. So we serve a God who graciously says yes. We serve a God who meets us in the waiting. And, we find our, and when we find ourselves hurting in the place of no, God is still good in his promises. And he promises to be with us through it all. Amen. Let's stand together. Again, I know this isn't the prettiest, funnest sermon to hear, but this is reality. I hope that you see that. And I hope that you can see that this is what's causing people to question and hurt and reconcile. And I pray that we as a church can be equipped to meet them in their doubt, in their wrestling and so I, I want to close today by, by spending some time in prayer. And I, I just can't help but think of those who may be in the room who are living with the scar of, of a no. Maybe it was a loved one that you prayed for. Maybe it was a situation. Maybe it was a career change. Whatever the case may be, maybe you live with the heartache of this no and you still haven't truly found healing from it if that is you I just want you to see and, and reflect and recognize that that's you and I just want to pray for you and so if you would if you would bow your heads and close your eyes if that is you if you are wrestling and dealing and live with this scar Lord I just pray for these people God that have had situations happen in life that they've had a hard time reconciling, that they've maybe pushed off to the side, that they don't want to talk about it. God, I pray right now that you would once again just make your presence known as a holy father. Lord, thank you that your word says you will never leave us or forsake us. You will never not be with us in this pain. So God, I pray that you would just do a healing work right now, emotionally, 
spiritually, God. For those who carry the scars of, of a no, maybe it was death, maybe it was heartache, maybe it was, maybe, maybe it was finally something, maybe moving out of a season only to see things fall. God, whatever the case, you know our story. And Lord, thank you that you are with us. I pray for healing in Jesus' name over every heart. And Lord, that you would meet them there. In Jesus' name. Amen. And so I also want to pray for those who maybe you're in the waiting. I mean, I just know of so many stories of people who are in that waiting. Maybe it's maybe it's a baby. Maybe you're believing God for a baby and you find yourself in the waiting. Maybe it's you, you've been praying for a job opportunity or a job opening or a new season or you've been praying that God would move in your financial world or your emotional world or maybe it's a breakthrough and you're in the waiting. I want to pray right now. I want to come together with great expectation as a church that even today, that we do serve a God who is the God of the yes. Even if it takes 25 years, he still stands firm on his promises. And so I just want to, you're going to take some bold moves, but if you are in a season of waiting, I just invite you, slip your hand up. If you are in a season of some type of waiting, you're believing God for a breakthrough, maybe it's for one of your kids to get saved, maybe it's a family member, maybe it's a healing in your body physically, maybe it's financial provision, maybe it is a baby, just raise your hand. And if you see someone near you with their hand raised, just stretch your hands out towards them. Maybe gently put your hand on their shoulder with their permission. But come on, let's believe God with great expectation that he is the God of the yes, that even in the waiting, he is with us. So Lord, right now we pray with great expectation as a church. God, we believe, we stand firm that you are the God who will supply all of our needs. God, I pray for financial provision. God, I pray for that job opportunity that we've just been praying and pleading for. God, I pray that you would open the door this week. God, that we would celebrate. We would have dozens of more testimonies, God, of yeses. Come on, church, begin to pray with great expectation. Lord, we just pray that you would make a way, God, for a breakthrough. God, maybe we've been wrestling with addiction or maybe we've been wrestling with a mental, emotional battle, God, and we're just believing for breakthrough, believing for healing, God, I pray right now that you would meet that need, that you would say yes. God, maybe it's physical healing. God, I pray again as those who wait with great expectation. Lord, thank you that you are healer. We pray in Jesus' name, God, heal your people. Heal the sick. God, we do. We think about the ones that are praying and pleading with you for life to have a baby. God, I pray right now, would you do it again, Lord, that you are the God throughout Scripture that opens up wombs and and gives life. Lord, I pray that you would do it again. Lord, we believe you. We believe your word. We trust you. We know you are good. And we pray that you would meet those needs. And Lord, thank you so much. 
God, thank you for being with us in the waiting. God, I pray for many, many more testimonies of your glory and your power on full display when you say yes. We believe this in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, can we thank God for that? I have one, one quick final thing to say and then I'm going to dismiss you. But in a sermon like this, talking about the realities of waiting and no, I want to bring your perspective into proper alignment. And I want to echo the words of the Apostle Paul. Knowing what we know about Paul, as someone who knows what it's like to be told no, he still commands the church in First Thessalonians and he commands us in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, I'm just going to read it. He says this, pray without ceasing. <laughs> Don't stop praying. What he doesn't say is, yeah, it's, he didn't do it for me, so just pray a little bit. No, he says, don't stop praying. Never stop praying, not just in 21 days, but in 365 days of a year. Never stop praying. Never stop believing. Amen. And that's what we are, a body of believers that will not stop praying. Amen. Well, I love you guys. I pray in Jesus' name you'd be blessed. And we'll see you guys here on Saturday for First Saturday Prayer. You're dismissed. <laughs>